This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. It is Tuesday, November 29th, and this is People Every Day. Hey there, everyone. It's me, your friend Janine Rubenstein, back here with you this Giving Tuesday. I hope you're showing some love to your favorite organizations. We are, of course, going to get into Will Smith's appearance on The Daily Show, marking his first sit-down interview since the infamous Oscar slap. And later on in the show, we will be joined by the always savvy and always opinionated Bethany Frankel to talk about her new show and get her thoughts on the Balenciaga saga. But first, let's get into what's been swirling around out there today. Cardi B has opened up about how she and her husband have been coping after the death of his cousin and former collaborator, Takeoff. Cardi's husband, fellow rapper Offset, has been taking the death of his Migos bandmate very hard. Earlier this month, Takeoff was killed outside a downtown Houston bowling alley. He was just 28 years old. Cardi B spoke candidly about the loss in a since-deleted Twitter voice note this week. I'll paraphrase, but she says in part, we living our life normally, but deep down inside, our hearts have been so heavy. I feel like if I talk about the incident, about how we really feel, y'all will start saying, oh, sympathy. And we don't want no sympathy. We ain't no charity case, but no lie, I have been feeling so hopeless trying to make my husband happy. The rap superstar elaborated further, telling fans that the grieving process has been and still is very real. She continued describing her recent reality, saying, quote, trying to make him crack a smile, seeing him randomly cry, seeing him trying to distract his mind completely, schedule's been changing, trying to keep up with work after everything that he's been going through these past couple of weeks. Wow. As a gun laws activist once told me on this show, that is the type of residue that gun violence leaves on someone's loved ones, and that pain doesn't just go away. Wishing all of Offset's family and friends some comfort and peace as they continue to move forward. Balenciaga is still navigating through its recent winter 2022 ad campaign calamity, and now there's another. The fashion house is now suing the production company behind its spring 2023 ad campaign. The suit comes after paperwork about a Supreme Court ruling on child pornography was identified in one of the images of its spring office campaign. The campaign images included a page from the ruling United States versus Williams in the background, the ruling that deemed the promotion of child pornography illegal and not protected under freedom of speech. Well, Balenciaga said it believed that all of the items in the shoot were fake documents and received written confirmation from third parties, but the alleged document turned out to be real legal papers instead. According to news outlets, the company filed a $25 million lawsuit against production company North Six Inc. and its set designer. This suit comes on the heels of the design house's backlash we discussed on yesterday's show, where winter 2022 Balenciaga ads featured children posing with teddy bears who were wearing what appeared to be leather bondage attire. Representatives for North Six Inc. declined to comment, but a source close to the company who did not work on the teddy bear campaign tells people at no point for the spring 23 ad campaign did North Six have involvement in the creative direction of the shoot and was not physically on site for the final set arrangement as Balenciaga wanted it to be a closed set. 
Balenciaga issued a statement that read in part, we take full accountability for our lack of oversight and control of the documents in the background, and we could have done things differently. Interesting. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on what happens next for this embattled brand. And now we're turning our attention to the interview everyone's been talking about today. Will Smith's Daily Show interview with Trevor Noah. Will Smith has made his first late-night appearance on a promo tour for his upcoming film, Emancipation. On The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Will finally addressed in a public interview his 2022 Oscars scandal where he slapped Chris Rock after an off-color joke about his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, was made. His actions forced him to resign from the Academy, and in a time where many thought with his new film he could be a contender for back-to-back Oscars, he also received a 10-year ban from attending the awards. Emancipation is an important story being told, Will saying it is not a, quote, slave movie, but a freedom movie. He laid it all out on the table with Trevor, even tearing up during the conversation. But our question today is, did the message get through or does it make a difference? Here to break it down with us is People's Senior Movies News Editor, Nigel Smith. Hey, Nigel. Hey, how's it going? I feel like there is so much to talk about here in this interview, but I wanted to play for you a clip of some of what Will said when it came to his behavior at the Oscars. That was a horrific night, uh, as you can imagine. You know, there's many nuances and and complexities to it, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, I lost it. I guess what I would say, you just never know what somebody's going through. Now, being on a film tour, this might be the first late night interview, but it's definitely not the last, right? But why do you think he chose Trevor Noah? And how do you think he handled it? Trevor Noah himself is a celebrity, right? He's like one of the most preeminent late night talk show hosts we have at the moment. They are friends in real life. So I think that obviously made Will comfortable with the interview and with sitting down and and, and going there and talking about what he described as a horrific night. And you're right, because Trevor is also friends with Chris and he's a comedian and comedians took it really hard. So I think it was kind of smart on on Will's part to kind of speak to someone from that community. But, I mean, Will got emotional, right? He was wiping his eyes a bit during this interview, stating to the audience at first that he was not crying, but after flying 30 hours, he had airplane eyes. And then there was a shift when he began speaking about what happened when he got home from the 2022 Oscars, and he began to tear up for real, describing how he had his nephew on his lap. My nephew, Dom, is nine. And... He is the sweetest little boy. He's like, you know, we came home and it's like he had stayed up late to see his Uncle Will, you know. And we're sitting in my kitchen and he's on my lap and he's holding the Oscar. And he's just like, why did you hit that man, Uncle Will? This moment seemed very real. He spoke of how that moment is not the person he wants to be. So do you think it humanized him and and that that situation might, you know, play different for people who are still on the edge about, hey, do I support Will Smith or not? I mean, I think it did personally. Seeing him, you know, be vulnerable in this interview and admitting to that was was powerful, much more powerful than the individual YouTube video that he released himself in which he just directly addressed a camera, you know, with a written statement. That didn't really sell me on his apology 
I think this was a successful move on his part, especially going into award season. And I think it was really smart to just hit the question head on, address it, and kind of get it out of the way. Well, although Will is not welcome at the Oscars, we know, it does not mean places like the SAG Awards, the Hollywood Film Awards, BAFTAs, or even Golden Globes are out of the question for him. Do you think this film and its important story could suffer the consequences of his actions? Because we know he's worried about that. I think it really all depends on how the movie is received. Reviews aren't out yet, so we're not quite sure of the you know general reaction to the film. But obviously, Apple Films is very confident in this movie. They could have held this for years to watch this all cool over. But they decided to get an Oscar campaign going the year after his Oscars controversy. So it's quite the bold move to make. I mean, Apple, let's let's not forget, they won Best Picture last year, right, with, with CODA. So they're kind of in this for awards glory, and I think they know what they have on their hands. Well, last question for you. Does he even go to these award shows? I mean, if you're Will Smith, you've been there, you have your Oscar, you are a huge A-list actor. I mean, he doesn't have to go. Do you sit it out? Well, he has to sit out the Oscars because he's banned from attending the ceremony for for 10 years, even though he can be nominated. I honestly think if he's nominated and he's getting the buzz, I don't think it would be that bad to show up and to potentially give a speech, address it again, make not make a joke of it, not make a joke of it, but just be humble and act grateful for being a part of the conversation again, despite everything that's happened. I don't know. I would make my movies and then I would, you know, have some young up and coming actor that I believe in, except on my behalf, if I were to win anything, like just, just take a year. (laughs) I get that. I get that. He put a lot of work into this movie and I think he's going to want to acknowledge that somehow if he gets the chance to. Yeah. If he gets the chance. Nigel, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Businesswoman, philanthropist, reality TV star, beauty influencer, Bethany Frankel has a lot of titles to manage, and she's adding a new one, Judge. Coming up, we sit down with the Housewives alum to talk about teaming up with Shark Tank tycoon Kevin O'Leary on their new CNBC show, Money Court. But first, it's been five years since former Today Show host Matt Lauer's broadcasting career came to an abrupt end after multiple allegations of sexual misconduct surfaced. After the break, our very own Charlotte Trigg stops by to talk about what Lauer's life has been like since his fall from grace. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about Crunch Chocolate Bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. 
crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. It's been five years since Matt Lauer was fired from the Today Show after sexual misconduct allegations were made against him. Once one of the top morning TV anchors, it goes without saying that his life looks very different now. Sources have recently told people that in the last year, he has, quote, kind of withdrawn from several friendships, especially following the release of his former friend and co-anchor Katie Couric's memoir, Going There. In the book, Katie recalled how she was shocked learning about the allegations against Matt and even told us in her People Cover story last year that his behavior was, quote, grossly inappropriate. There is a lot to get into here. So joining me now to do just that is People's Executive Editorial Director, Charlotte Triggs. Hey, Charlotte. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Janine. Thanks for having me. Well, viewers who watched the Today Show in the early 2000s saw the camaraderie between Matt and Katie, but now they don't have a relationship, especially since the allegations against Matt came to light. So why does Matt feel so betrayed by Katie? So according to Source, the Katie book was one of the last things to really rattle him after everything that had happened. Obviously, there was the first wave of this scandal where a lot of people iced him out from, you know, if we're looking at it from his perspective. And he lost a ton of friends when that happened. Then there was a whole second wave with the Ronan Farrow book where the allegations became even more specific. And a lot of people who had previously not wanted to talk about it, but had remained his friends were kind of themselves rattled. And then there were his long-term friends who had really stood by his side and people from his previous life who had kind of been a presence still. After Katie's book, he apparently felt betrayed because she shared their private text messages and, according to source, semi-slammed him. I mean, I think she was probably very cautious in what she said, but it still made him feel as though someone who had been his close friend was turning on him publicly. And according to the source, it made him lose trust in not just that one relationship, but in a lot of his relationships. And he sort of just stopped calling people and a lot of his friends kind of fell by the wayside. So in the years following, Matt and his wife, Annette Roque, got a divorce back in 2019. And last year, people learned he was dating PR executive Shaman Abbas. But despite dating for a while now, he won't relocate to Florida for her. Why is that? His home base is in the Hamptons, which is where his children remain. His older two children have kind of gone off to college. His younger child's still in high school and he centers his whole life around them. It's a very weird period of time for him. The source that I spoke to said that he's in a transitional time. His older children going off to college, his youngest is kind of still around. He's like a semi-empty nester and he's not working, which makes it all the stranger. But he is not really in a place yet where he's willing to make any giant changes to his home base even for a relationship that the source says is very serious. So aside from staying home for his kids, uh, what is he up to now? You said he's not working. What's his financial situation looking like, though? Because a lot was made of that when he was fired. So this is a guy who is seriously wealthy. Remember that he was making probably more than any news anchor on television for an extended period of time. His contract was $30 million a year. Might have even been upwards of that, actually. Not to mention that there's like expenses that were covered by the network. I mean, like he used to work four days a week and they would fly him on a helicopter from the Hamptons to the studio to do his show because that's how valuable he was. That's who he was. He was Matt Lauer. Once they 
fired him for cause. They were able to not pay out the rest of his contract. He did have to sell off a couple properties. And that happened also as a matter of course, during the divorce that they sold off some of these things. And we're talking lavish, lavish properties, like a horse farm in the Hamptons. And he had multiple properties in New Zealand that were worth multiple millions of dollars. So I do think that he was somebody who was working with a huge overhead and he probably downsized slightly, probably not what one would call downsizing by any normal person's stretch of the imagination. He has continued to not work. And even if he might like to, such opportunities are a little challenge for somebody who was once the absolute pinnacle of this industry and had such a public situation. Well, thank you for updating me on that. I hadn't thought about him, and then I did. I saw that headline, and I was like, oh, what is he up to? So this was everything I needed. Charlotte, thank you for coming on to discuss this with me. Thanks, Janine. Any entrepreneurs are going to be moguls out there. If you need advice on the state of your business, don't phone a friend. Just turn on the TV and wait for the gavel to drop. CNBC's Money Court returns for season two as Real Housewife turned CEO Bethany Frankel and Shark Tank's business tycoon Kevin O'Leary team up to decide the fate of real life financial feuds amongst business owners and carve out a master plan to get the business back on track. Well, here with me now is the ultra savvy woman herself. Bethany Frankel, as she breaks down what fans can look forward to on season two. Hey, Bethany, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So just being a businesswoman, you've worked with people throughout your career from Skinny Girl and you have the book, Business is Personal. What spoke to you about this project, Money Court specifically, and what's it like working with Kevin O'Leary? It is a second season, but it's effectively a new show. I'm joining Kevin and we are both giving entrepreneurs advice. They are coming, they are at a business impasse that they cannot break through. And these are businesses of all sizes. There are businesses over $100 million, businesses for a million dollars, and they can't break through and compromise and come to an understanding. And it effectively could mean their business could end. And that happens a lot. So we listen to the cases, we deliberate, and then we give advice that you are legally bound to follow. So I was attracted to the project because I like things that aren't derivative, that are brand new, that no one's really done before. And so this hasn't really been done in this way. Nice. So from this season, what was the wildest case you had to weigh in on? There was a case that was a woman really just asking us for advice. It was one of the best ideas I've ever heard. And this is not Shark Tank. We're not investing. It wasn't that it was the most complicated. It was that I was in shock that this woman from this small town came up with this crazy idea and it sounded like a billion dollar idea. And then there were some serious dilemmas. There was a guy expanding his almost like a really Chuck E. Cheese on steroids, like go-kart, like crazy entertainment centers. And he was on fire because of the pandemic. And his venture capital partner didn't want to expand at the same rate. And it was challenging because in many cases, the time is now. You don't want to overextend, but if you if you've got lightning in a bottle, you have to. We were delivering binding results, so we ha- my brain was fried. And Kevin too. He said it was more mentally taxing for him than Shark Tank. And I've done Shark Tank, and it absolutely was. It's the most amazing experience I've had on television to date. Just oh wow! Yeah. Well, that's saying a lot, Bethany. You, yeah. You've done a lot on television. <laughs> yes, it was really the most challenging, and I've never learned more. It was unbelievable. 
Well, so what is something that you saw continue to pop up? Like what mistakes do you see people make the most when getting a new business off the ground or trying to work together with a business partner? Let's say there were two partners and Kevin's thinking about the numbers and how they succeed financially, but they weren't aligned emotionally or logically or morally. And it doesn't matter how much money they could make by giving them only financial advice. If they're not on the same page, then it doesn't matter. Business has many different ingredients to make it a good recipe. So we were constantly checking each other. And I have to say, I can totally keep up with Kevin and he can totally keep up with me. And that I haven't found any people who can keep up with me. I love it. Well, you you never shy away from anything really, but especially giving your take on just what's going on in the world and, and in the news. And you did that recently about the controversial Balenciaga ad that is still making headlines today. So from a business standpoint, what was your sense of what happened there? And then also, what's your take as a mom? I am absolutely so flabbergasted and confused as to how that could happen. Like I usually can come up with some sort of a theory. I don't understand. Because even if one person is some wacko, diabolical, crazy person with their own agenda, there there's so many checks and balances and then shooting it and then someone checking it and then editing it. And then like it goes on and on. There's so many processes. I'm doing something for a beauty brand right now. And I've seen 40 emails that I'm looking at. It's my name. You can't take credit for everything being great when you're an amazing, successful brand and then pretend like you have no idea. And I commented on celebrities. It's so funny because every celebrity post the obligatory plan, they give a link and they show a koala and they link to some charity that they probably have nothing to do with. But when it's something where you have to go off script and say something on your own, not just the caption that everyone in Hollywood is posting or wearing one color at an award ceremony because everybody's doing it, it makes celebrities seem like they're just a robot that just wait to be told what to do. And people are like, thank God you're speaking up. I'm like, what? It would be like drinking a glass of water. Like what is so crazy about me speaking up and saying something that's basic. Hollywood kisses the ass of fashion so much because fashion is a secondary revenue stream. I mean, you get to go become more famous for wearing big outfits and you get to be more famous for being at the Met Gala and more famous for being front row. And the same company that owns Balenciaga owns many fashion brands. So that's why everyone's noticeably silent or doing some sort of pat PR statement. Well, before I let you go, I I have to get into how you have been this year. How's Paul, your life business partner, Paul? (laughs) What are you grateful for and and, and what are you looking forward to for next year? I'm grateful for a sense of balance in my business and, and personal life and the successes I'm experiencing, the daughter I am raising. And Paul is amazing. He's a good partner. He's a good friend. So everything's good. I'm excited to launch my um, Forever Young Wine, which happens in 2023. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff happening. I love it. I'm excited for all of it, Bethany. Thank you so much for coming on. And and guys, be sure to check out Money Court November 30th on CNBC at 10 p.m. Eastern. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, guys, now this. It's really hard to pin down what exactly makes a relationship work, right? At some point, two strangers meet and they hit it off or not. Even if things do go well from the start, it takes a certain secret sauce to make it long lasting. And for Brenda and Dennis Delgado, their secret to love isn't a sauce per se. It's more of a 
condiment. <laughs> On August 3rd, 2021, Brenda and Dennis were just two strangers running mid-pandemic errands when they happened to bump into each other in the condiment aisle of a Phoenix-area fries, food, and drug. Brenda was a recent widow who lost her husband of 30 years. She was minding her own business, looking for some sandwich spread, when Dennis, who was also making his way through mayonnaise options, struck up a conversation. As Dennis recalled, we both had masks on, and I say to her, you know the best thing about wearing a mask? You could pass these people not wearing a mask and curse them out under your breath. They don't hear a word you're saying, and she started laughing. After having their fill of laughter and conversation, they both wanted seconds. And so Dennis accompanied Brenda to church the following week. Over the next few weeks, Dennis and Brenda then built up a bond over their shared experiences with loss. Dennis was still mired in grief after the death of his wife of 45 years. And as he told a local Phoenix news station, he was, quote, angry at God for taking his wife away. Brenda admits that she too had just begun to find her purpose again following her husband's death from prostate cancer. Well, by April of this year, Dennis knew he wanted to top things off in their relationship with an engagement ring. She said yes, and they decided to tie the knot. But as far as where to have their wedding, well, there was only one place they had in mind, a special place, a little place called Aisle 8 at Fry's, better known as the condiment aisle. More than a year after Dennis picked up a jar of olive oil mayonnaise and Brenda stocked up on some Miracle Whip, the two got married right there for all the world to see, or at least some very confused shoppers, and a wall of fat-free salad dressings. As Brenda told one outlet, I'm 72. He's 78 now. We don't have that many more years to do something dumb and stupid. Dennis echoed his new bride's excitement by adding, you never know when you're going to walk down the condiment aisle at Fry's and you're going to meet someone that you didn't know you needed in your life. Oh, isn't that the sweetest or I guess savoriest love story? Shout out to Brenda and Dennis and to Mayonnaise for bringing them both together. Oh, I love it so much. And I hope Brenda and Dennis were something to make you smile and a little hungry. Well, that is our show today. Tomorrow, we will be joined by People's Editor-in-Chief, Wendy Noggle, as she takes us through this year's big People of the Year issue. No spoilers, you guys, but I had the pleasure of working on this package, and you will not be disappointed in our selections. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow, right here on People Every Day.